Hello, and welcome to the Conrad Life Report, I think episode number 12, uh, being recorded early in the morning on January 24th. It is currently 4.18 a.m. I was too tired last night to do this before I went to bed, but I really wanted to get in an episode before I go to Cincinnati, which I am about to do as soon as I finish recording this, I'm going to get a car and go up to LaGuardia. Um, So yeah, it is Thursday morning at 4.15 in the morning. I don't know if it started raining, but it's supposed to start raining right around now and rain heavily here in New York uh, through all morning and through some of the afternoon, I think. I I will, I should, I'm scheduled to be in Cincinnati by 9 a.m., We'll see where... I know they had this weather yesterday. Um, and it's supposed to be quite windy. Oh, I heard some... heard the door move. Hmm. Anyway, I think it was just the heat coming on. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, going to Cincinnati, going to spend a few days there uh, through the weekend, going to spend some time with my family, uh, specifically... My dad, who's had a fairly rough year, and so uh, just going yeah, just to spend time and going to see some friends while I'm there, of course. Um, the dudes, Brian and uh, Beth and the kids and friends Pete and Roth and, of course, my sister and her family and my nephews. And then maybe later today I see my friend Chris, who I know from here in New York, but he is a... Providence College Friars basketball fanatic, and he has gone to Cincinnati this week to see them play Xavier, and he's also going to see UC play tonight. I think they're playing the Tulsa Golden Hurricane um, at the Fifth Third Center tonight. So maybe I'll see Chris uh, later today or this evening in Cincinnati, which is going to be fun to see him there and not here. And he and his brother Drew have a birthday coming up. It'll be nice to see him. Anyway... Um, and then besides just spending time with my family and friends, one project I sort of hope to get going on this trip is mailing my stereo system back here to Brooklyn, which is my actual stereo system that I had I, well, technically as a kid, but this is a stereo system my dad got for me when I was in college. Um, and it's a Technics full, you know, multi-component system. There's a receiver. There is a double tape deck, which actually I'm most excited about. Uh, so I can start playing tapes here. There is a 100, I think it's 110 or 111 CD changer. It's ridiculous. The entire front panel, um, opens down, swings down and all of this, you can line up all of the CDs like on their side, uh, left to right. It's like a kind of a jukebox thing, and it's crazy. Um, but before the prevalence of MP3 playing and iPods and everything, I mean, it was like I had my own digital jukebox. I had kept 110 CDs in there, and I would press shuffle, and it was insane. It was awesome. So that's coming back. Um, to my turn, the turntable that comes with the system, and maybe I'll even send back the eight track player. There's not the Technic system doesn't have an eight track player, but 
Uh, I have a I have a cool Panasonic eight track player that I used when I was a very young kid because we had a few eight tracks. It has got to be the most modern looking, cool looking eight track player in existence. Um, not that big, about the size of a portable, well, old tape recorder. Um, definitely not as big as a normal stereo component. So that's the big project. I've done some research. It looks like it will cost me anywhere between twenty and thirty dollars a box i.e. a component which is more than reasonable because that would be less than me buying all this stuff here in new york and where you're going to find tape decks i've done a little bit of research and it seems like the only tape decks now are the kind where they have usb outs and they the only purpose seems to be to digitize the tapes whereas what i want is a nice good cassette player to play cassettes and um my friend phil Palazzolo was telling me that tape decks are a finicky thing because they have so many moving parts and these the type of moving parts in cassette decks tend to break down easily over time. So they're very delicate things. So hopefully this one will survive the trip. Um, if not, I'll be in the market for a new tape deck. But anyway, that's the big project. And that'll, that'll be um, one more step towards getting stuff out of my my parents house after that the only remaining big things are just a stack of just paperwork and old book reports and books and magazines i'm slowly bringing my musician magazine collection back to new york i carry back a stack at a time whatever i can fit in my carry-on and since i'm going solo this trip i.e without the family i have much more room to carry whatever i want so hopefully i'll get a good stack back this time and the other thing that over the years I decided I wanted to keep and not get rid of is um, all of my Q magazines, Q the British magazine, uh, music magazine from the 90s. Um, I just think they're incredible artifacts and documents and so well made and I think I will look back at them again in the future and they definitely spark joy in the parlance of today and so I want to keep them. So, but this trip will be about getting the, hopefully getting the stereo system back. Oh, and continuing to bring back the rest of my Grateful Dead tapes that I haven't also, that also haven't made any recent ferry trips back and forth in my carry-on bag. And then I have a lot of just cassettes as well that I'd like to bring back. Just tapes from the 80s, you know, like an example being R.E.M. Green I have on cassette and Tom Petty Full Moon Fever. Just, it'll be fun to play these things in their cassette form. So that's the big Cincinnati project. Um, so moving on to the normal topics of the Conrad Life Report um, books. So this week I finished the book Habits by Charles Duhigg, D-U-H-I-double-G. Um, he went to Yale, and I know that not from his About the Author, although I think it's mentioned, but because my friend Alec rec- recognized his name when he, he saw the picture I posted of the book cover. And he said he had been holding off on reading the book because he didn't like how this author acted during a history class they shared together in college, which I think is actually a fine enough reason to avoid an author's work because if <laughs> if you don't if you don't like the author on a personal level, you're not going to enjoy reading the book. But I told him the book is actually quite good. It's basically reads like a very long New Yorker article. It's a uh, two hundred and sixty pages or so. Reads pretty fast, divided into three sections, which is how habits define you personally, um, how habits define a company, and how habits develop and affect societies as a whole. 
and it's it's just sort of like um, peppered with a lot of really interesting anecdotes about how the power of habit has positively um, re-engineered people on uh, like personal life trajectories, re-engineered a company like the companies they meant they discuss in the book are Alcoa. Um, which was which was turned around by Paul Allen, who later became the Treasury Secretary for a couple of years under George W. Bush from 2000 to 2002. He took over Alcoa in the late 80s, I think it was. And Starbucks, which is a more famous story, Howard Schultz, and talks about how Star, Starbucks um, instills in their employees the power of habit, which this habit includes a lot of just positive reinforcement and being strong in the face of well, the battles that anyone that's in customer-facing, customer relations has to go through. Um, and, yeah, overall throughout the book, it goes through the sort of psychologically, psychological, like by consensus accepted um, method of habits, uh, the workflow of habits, which is that there's a cue, there's a routine, and there's a reward. And the cue is, I mean, to use this on a personal level, which is, an example they used in the book, which is something I face every day at work, and I'm assuming many people do, which is about having the urge for a snack at, say, three in the afternoon. The cue in this case is that you're hungry. The routine is that you walk to the vending, vending machine and buy a chocolate bar, let's say. And the reward is that you eat your chocolate bar and enjoy it. Well, anyway, this what, what when you reexamine your habits what you do is you examine exactly what is the reward you're seeking. And the author notes in his example that he was, that three o'clock was getting up from his desk, going to another floor to the cafeteria, buying a cookie and talking to people while he was there and then going back to his desk. So over experimenting and slightly altering his routine over days, he realized that the cookie wasn't really the key here. It was more, he was into taking mentally into taking a break and mentally into engaging with his coworkers and friends and having some conversation that sort of gave him a mental break from his from his work. Um, so he realized that it wasn't the cookie he wanted; it was the break. And so he started to get up and walk at three o'clock, but not necessarily go to the cafe. He would go to another colleague's desk and enjoy some conversation and gossip and whatever, and then go back. And then, of course, you know you experiment with yourself what personally fits for you. Like if you actually are hungry, then maybe a healthier snack will get you the reward you need. So you, the routine becomes you get up and go get a piece of fruit as opposed to going up and getting a cookie if you're hungry um, or as opposed to getting up and walking and talking to someone. So basically you identify your cue. You then sort of experiment with what your routine will be and ultimately you try to get the reward that best suits you. And um, he also discusses about how like people have used, I guess this is apparently the um, foundation for Alcoholics Anonymous and their step, 12-step program. So there's a mild history of AA in there. And um, and then there's some other, like on a company basis, the, one of the negative examples they use is just how uh, they use the Rhode Island Hospital as an example of where like bad habits were ingrained and nurses weren't um, weren't encouraged to speak up and of course this led to operations being done where they botched the operation the patients passed away and so pretty fascinating book I mean 
it was a quick read though. It actually took me over a week and a half to read it. Um, but yeah, it's like, like a long, good New Yorker article. Um, and I have to say, it actually got me to think about my habits and I, I think about my cues and I think about my routines and I think about my rewards. Um, so for the past week and a half, I've been, this is what I've been thinking about um, as I go through my day, cues and rewards and routines. And so after that, I finally started reading that Against Everything collection of essays by Mark Grief, who is an N plus one, the literary journal. He's a co-founder of N plus one. And it's it's stunningly well-written. It's just like he has a command of words and phrases and sentences and his sentences seem so complex. It's kind of, I, he, um, not difficult to read. They're just like masterfully, masterfully crafted. And a couple of sentences are just so stunningly well-written. I've gone back and read it over and over, even if I, even as I've moved on in the book, because I, I think back to how incredible the sentence was. Um, so it's a great, he's a great writer. I'm, uh, how many essays in am I? I think I'm on the fourth one. Um, but I just finished the one about food. It's called On Food. And it, it's a pretty, um, well, just mesmerizing examination of just w- what we think of food as a society and like what's really driving the reason why we like quote unquote organic food. Um, what we think about about how like uh more like poorer classes like they don't think about say organic food and the way the way a more educated and uh, not more educated although that correlates but a more um higher financial class person thinks about food um like if you if if you possibly have trouble actually being able to pay for food at some point in your recent life like you're your concern is getting food and getting calories and then putting it in your body to survive. Whereas if you don't have any ever medical fear of, of going without food, then what you're actually doing is you've achieved a certain level where you're now, you're now moving back and doing the reverse. You're trying to deny yourself calories. You're denying yourself food because ultimately it becomes the drive to prolong your health by denying yourself foods and you're only going after certain foods and then he goes into a discussion of like what this means in terms of like do we really when we want this sort of healthy food what do we really want well we want we want health and we ultimately want longevity and we ultimately want to live as long as possible and how does that correlate with also our basic human drives which is like eating exercise sex um, and he also has a pretty good takedown of Michael Pollan and the Omnivore's develop, dilemma in there. I have not read that book. I've read other Michael Pollan, but not that book, which is his most famous. But he explains Pollan's example, and then he sort of very quickly uh, shoots it down, or doesn't shoot it down. It's not like he refutes him. He just doesn't even engage him on that level and explains why Pollan is wrong to even pursue a certain path of explanation. Anyway, that's the essay on food by Mark Grief. Really great. Um, since it's so densely written, I feel like it's going to take me a long time to get through this book. I think it's about 300 pages. And so that that will probably be what I'm reading for the next week or two. Um, but after that, I got some good things lined up. I got Martin Amos. The um, most recent collection of essays out on paperback came out this week. 
And my friend Meg at Penguin just sent me the new Jeff Tweedy books. I'm very excited about that. Signed copy, too, which is nice. Um, Moving on to music. This week I actually listened to a lot of new music because a lot of new stuff has come out. So I'll quickly move through this because I want to keep this episode short, actually, because I kind of have to go to the airport soon. But um, Deer Hunter, I listened to the new Deer Hunter record, um, which the cover art actually looks very the band. Um, and also looks like, reminds me of Deja Vu in a way. Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, but has that sort of dark, old, dusty, leather-looking, maroon-looking color to it. Um, anyway, it's it's an interesting sound for them. It's very, uh, it reminded me of the kinks, and it reminded me of the kinks when they're sort of minor key kinks um, in like the late 60s, like a Village Green era kinks. And in fact, the second song on the on this record, uh, which is called Not Sleeping or something only, it's not, not, not I keep thinking I'm only sleeping, but it's not the Beatles song, it's something sleeping. Anyway, the bridge of that song actually very much sounds like the song Village Green um, and also Village Green Preservation Society, which are both in the same record, but actually sounds more like Village Green by the Kinks and even says the words Village Green in this bridge. So it's a clear call out, which is awesome. So the Deer Hunter record is is a good listen. Um, listen to the new Steve Gunn record and um, it's good. It's kind of like it's its own vibe throughout, you know, it sort of establishes a vibe and it really follows that vibe through. So I'm not sure how much more I'll listen to it, but I thought it was great and I'm sure others will love it a lot. Um, William Tyler has a new record out. I think it's out next week. I've listened to the single. William Tyler is a formerly Nashville based, now LA based guitar player. He plays solo guitar live often, sometimes with a band and his albums are mostly guitar with a band, but it's all instrumental and oh, just a fantastic player. Like you, you don't miss vocals when you're listening to William Tyler, just beautiful, beautiful instrumental songs. So new William Tyler is great. He played rough trade here last night, <laughs> IE about five hours ago, probably or was it? Yeah. Last night. Yeah. And I wish it could have gone. Um, and I listened to the new Sharon Van Etten record remind me tomorrow, I think is what it's called. It's, really fantastic it's getting a lot of acclaim and i guess like rightfully so and sadly i guess she's moving to la sadly for us because i know she lives here in the neighborhood and i've run into her before and um i'll miss seeing her and um but i guess her and her partner have a kid a small kid who seems cute and um yeah they're gonna move to la so it's always sad when a fellow musician with a small child leaves the neighborhood but Good luck to Sharon. She's very nice. I auditioned to be her drummer a number of years ago and unfortunately didn't get the gig, uh, but she ended up marrying the person who got the gig, so I guess it all worked out for her. Um, and <laughs> the other night, for no reason, I just had this urge to listen to pub- old Public Enemy, so I listened to most of Fear of Black Planet and then some of the greatest hits from Nation of Millions. Um I just sat in my favorite chair by the window and put in headphones and just listened to Public Enemy. It was great. Um, let's see the other big things that happened this week. You know, it was very cold, so this affected my daily routine because I don't like to go running in the morning when it's super cold. So I didn't go running in the morning half of the days, and so it's, but I still wake up early and wake up first here. So just sat in my chair by the window and read books I was reading in the morning too on those mornings when I couldn't or I refuse to go running, I should say. 
Um, last Wednesday was the monthly Grateful Dead Night at Three's Brewing. Scott Devendorf and I were there DJing. It was fun as always. And this interesting thing happened at the end of the night where we sort of pile our coats um, on this like beer t- huge brewing tank, uh, which is behind where we DJ. And we, Scott and I both have Patagonia coats. I have a dark blue one. He has a black one. And anyway, at the end of the night, he left early or he left first, I should say. I went on. He left around 1030. I left around 11 and I realized he took my coat because my coat was gone and his coat was there. So texted him. and He's like, oh, no. And he lives on Long Island. So anyway, he mailed my coat back the next day and he was like, I have another coat. Don't worry. You know, keep mine until, you know, you send it back. So that's, you know, two days later, I got my coat and then I mailed him his. And um, anyway, this is what's crazy. is This is not the first time this has happened at a Grateful Dead night at Three's Brewing. Um, two years ago, so our other DJ, Bradley, his friend, um, Peter Meehan, who is a known food person from Ugly Delicious and Lucky Peach Magazine, Peter Meehan was there and he had my coat, Patagonia, my exact model, but in black. And he accidentally took my coat and I woke up to texts from Bradley connecting Peter and me. And so on the way into work in the morning, I got off at Broadway Lafayette, went up to the mezzanine level where Peter was waiting, and we said hello with sheepish grins and literally took off our coats and exchanged them and put back on our own coats as people were eyeing us warily. And we shook hands and went on our way. Um, so I guess I look forward to this a coat mishap happening two years from now on schedule. And happy birthday to Three's Brewing, by the way. They turned four last week, um, roughly last week. They actually opened, I think, in... December 14th, soft opening. But um, happy 4th to Three's Brewing. Um, I think I've gone through everything on my list, and I did want to keep this short um, because I want to go get on with my day and get to the airport. So hopefully the TSA lines aren't too long. Um, God bless TSA workers and all government employees who are working without pay. It is insane what's going on. yeah, so we'll see how that goes. I will provide some real feedback on that um, on my social channels, I guess, and on the next life report. Oh, and speaking of social media, I deactivated Facebook. Um, I'm just so upset with that company on a million levels, and it's hard to get rid of Facebook because I'm not so concerned about all my quote-unquote memories anymore because I downloaded your history, which you can do at any time. It took about an hour to download or it took about an hour for them to get it ready. And then they say, okay, ready for download. It's this huge file. Mine was 500 meg. And it has every, it has everything you've ever done in there. It is incredible. I recommend looking, downloading it and looking at it. But anyway, ultimately I will delete my Facebook. Um, I only worry about people that, you know, the classic worry about you're connected on there with people that you would otherwise not be connected with from your past and how else you can keep in touch. So I guess I'll have to activate again to just tell everyone, here's my email address and here's my Twitter. And I am keeping Instagram because I like Instagram. And even though it's the same company, it is, it is a different brand. So I am like sort of speaking with my, you know, making a consumer statement. But anyway, you know, Facebook is uh, for the birds. Um, Okay, now I think that's it. I will be flying today on a Delta, what was it? I think a um, CRJ 
700. So just the average normal two by two single aisle, small plane of Cincinnati. I moved to back window seat so I can hopefully get a good view of downtown Cincinnati on the way in should they follow the most common runway approach. And um, hopefully the winds aren't too bad. We'll see. Um, But yeah, thanks for listening. Conrad Life Report, I think episode 12, um, January 25th. 2019, I hope I didn't say 2018 at the beginning. It's like signing checks for the first part of the year. You signed the wrong date. Um, Anyway, 2019, this is going to be just under 25 minutes. All right, see you next time.